Hey guys, so today we're going to be talking about Romans chapter 1. And before we uh, dive into the details of this chapter, I'm going to zoom out a little bit and give us an overview of where we'll be headed. So Romans is a letter written by Paul to a group of Christians in the city of Rome. And I think it's safe to say that uh, it's the greatest letter ever written. And that's because it unpacks the greatest event that's ever happened. That is, it unpacks the significance of Jesus's life and work. And so right off the bat, Paul tells us that he's going to be talking to us about the gospel of God. That's important. That's the subject of this whole book. And what Paul is saying is everything in Romans is the gospel. And in Romans, Paul is going to give us a complete sketch of the Christian life. What all is this thing about? And whatever he's saying, it's the gospel. Now, the crazy thing is Paul's writing to Christians. So do Christians need to hear the gospel? Yes. <laughs> we need our understanding of the gospel to be radically expanded and to come up to the standard of God's revelation. And then we need to live into and experience the gospel that's presented here. Four words that are going to guide us through the narrative arc of the gospel are sinners, sons, members, and churches. That's where the gospel's going. Sinners become sons. Sons become members of Christ's body. And Christ's body is expressed and manifested in churches on this earth. So Romans picks up right where the four gospels let off and tells us that there's much more good news than Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And it's going to zoom in on the good news. It's going to zoom in on what's happening inside of us. That is, what is Christ doing inside believers to transform them with God's life for his expression? Okay, let's, let's think about chapter one here. Let's think about chapter one with three P words, promise, power, and problem. Promise, power, and problem. Okay, let's look at them one by one. First off, promise. This is in verse two and four. And Paul tells us right off the bat um, that the gospel was something promised by God in the Old Testament. So he's telling us that the gospel is not something new. It's not an afterthought. It's not a remedy when things went wrong. It was um, God's intention all along. So Paul's telling us right off the bat, hey, I'm going to tell you how to read the Old Testament. God made many promises in the Old Testament. But here Paul's saying, basically, you can sum up all those promises in one person. The entire Old Testament was pointing forward to Jesus, and he is the fulfillment of everything God promises to human beings. So God's promise is a unique person. The good news is a person. It's not a teaching it's not, a, it's not a practice. It's not, um, it's not good advice. This should catch our attention because all other religions are how-to religions. They tell people how to achieve. But Christianity is different. It tells us who to receive. And that is Jesus, Jesus Christ. The gospel is all about Jesus, who he is, and based on who he is, what he can do for us. So these two verses tell us what's so special about Jesus is that he has two natures. He's of the seed of David, and yet he is the son of God. And that's proven to us by his resurrection. And Paul's going to tell us that the gospel is that Jesus Christ is like a prototype that God intends to reproduce in millions of people. 
God doesn't just want one son. He wants many sons. And the astounding, you know, the gospel is like the astounding possibility that God holds out to humanity. Human beings can actually become sons of God. That's awesome. So God promises us more than we would ever think to ask for. Okay, let's go on to number two, power. This is in verse 16 and 17. And Paul says, um, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And the righteousness, the righteous shall have life and live by faith. So the gospel is a power and it's a power for a full salvation. And what that means is, Paul's talking about both righteousness and life. The gospel has the power to radically change you, to overcome any obstacle or struggle in your life, and to to, uh, change you from the inside out. So this is true for everyone. Everyone who believes, no matter what their life is like, no matter what they've done, the gospel is going to be this kind of power to them. Um, Paul's going to unpack this uh, in the book later on. Uh, but, but these two verses are really the backbone and the extract of the entire, entire book. Um, he's going to show us how righteousness works later on, what it costs God to maintain his righteousness. He's going to open up and explain what, what life means. What does he mean by that? Um, and he's going to eventually talk about what does a life based on faith look like? So the big point to catch here, though, is the gospel is more than justification or forgiveness. It's a opportunity to experience God's life and become his sons. And the only requirement God puts on us is faith. Faith means we believe the message and receive the life. God achieves, we receive. Okay, the last point here is problem. And from 18 on to the rest of the chapter, um, Paul dives quite uh, explicitly into the human predicament. The problem is sin. But the interesting thing is here, um, even though Paul lists a lot of sins, he actually lists lists 21 specific sins here. Sin is uh, painted here not as a few isolated errors, but a truth-suppressing and God-exchanging mode of operation. And Paul shows us that what that kind of mode of operation, it's just like our default setting. And and what that does is it distorts our God-given identity, so who we are who we're supposed to be, and it destroys our God-given destiny, what's God called us for. So human history is basically a history of giving up God for ourselves. That's what Paul tells us three times here. He says, we exchanged God for this, and we exchanged God for that, and we ultimately exchanged God for ourselves. And and that's the heart of sin. The heart of sin is a selfish substitution of God for us. And that leads to the moral disintegration of society. It produces a society, Paul says this in, um, says in verse 32, the last verse, that there's a society now that's united by the delight in sin, but also destroyed by it. So the heart of sin is a foolish exchange based on pride, but Romans is going to show us that the heart of salvation is a gracious exchange based on love. Christ takes on the likeness of sin so that we can take on the life of sons. He gives himself up for us. Our sin is so great that to forgive us, God must exchange places with us. So I know the last part of the chapter here is bad news. And, you know, a lot of times I know we tend to skip over it or kind of breeze through it and not focus on it, but we shouldn't do that. We need to understand the depths of our fallen state because if we don't understand sin for what it is, 
we will never see the good news for what it is. So I hope you, you guys enjoyed that. Remember, Romans 1 is setting us up for the rest of the book by showing us God's promise, the gospel's power, and our problem.